Welcome to Hustle and Pro Season 2, talking sports in Frisco from youth to pro. Now here's your host, Kelly Walker. Welcome to today's episode of Hustle and Pro. We have MMA Hall of Famer and former UFC title contender with us today, Chris Brennan. Welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. This is going to be a fun topic. Yeah, I haven't I'm, talked I'm to MMA excited. before on this show, so this is going to be great. All right, just to start, I want to know a couple little quick things about you. In general, who's your favorite athlete? Favorite athlete? Um, probably George St. Pierre. He's, a, he's won a multi-time MMA world champion, UFC world champion. Phenomenal athlete. Michael Jordan also was, I was always a, not even a basketball fan, but always a Michael Jordan fan. Yeah, it's funny how you can be both, right? Because right. there's so much more to Jordan than just just the basketball, the legend, right? His um, abilities were, you know, yeah, incredible. Yeah, for sure. So I have this funny thing going on where I ask my guests what their favorite sports movie is, just because I'm curious. So what's yours? Um, so honestly, I'm pretty pretty emotional person, so I love watching sports movies, the stories behind them. Um, Invincible uh, with Mark Wahlberg is a football movie. Loved it. Um, th- there's a lot of um, Remember the Titans. You know, I have, I have tons of really good uh, sports movies that I like to watch. And, and again, they're not even sports that I play or played, but just the... I know what goes into being a professional athlete. So watching that, you know, watching the, the develop, development and the emotional side of it, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty. Yeah, incredible. it's like the story, the challenges, the the journey, right? Always it's less, yeah. sometimes less about the actual sport, because because the sport inside the movie itself is usually not correct, anyways. You right, know, right. so it's like if you're sometimes when you're really into the sport, you like it less because you notice all the inconsistencies, but. Yep. All right, so I read that you played traditional group sports as a kid, but then you you obviously leaned towards more individual sports. So so why is that? Tell me about that. Um, I just feel like when you lose, it's on you. When you win, it's pretty much on you. I mean, you have coaches and stuff as well, but um, there's no one else to blame. Like you know, I played baseball for a few years. I played soccer, um, and that might have been it at a young age. And then I got into gymnastics and surfing and bodybuilding and motocross and fighting. And all of those are single-person sports. You know, they're not team sports. And, and I think it was just – I felt like you work harder and don't have to rely on anybody else. Yeah. So you're from California. Yep. So when you're growing up talking about these things, obviously the, the surfing part was not a Frisco, Texas uh, activity. Right. So those things, when you said like gymnastics, when you started transitioning, those things sound like – strength-based things also did is that something that because you're not going into vision you're not going to play golf you you right. seem to lean towards these physical like core strength like types of activities yeah I was definitely athletic um I was little but but I was athletic growing up I was also an adrenaline junkie like to do you know a lot of the well, I won't jump out of an airplane, <laughs> but, but other than that, I, I like to do the, you know, the extreme sports. That's you know, where you draw the line, sports. jumping yeah, out of an airplane. For sure. I almost did once, but decided not to. So I heard or read also that you were inspired by watching um, specifically UFC, uh, and I don't want to say his name wrong, so I'll let you, um, and you kind of jumped in and then started actually like training with this person that you watched and were inspired by. What, yeah. what happened there? Hoist Gracie. So the Gracie family brought the UFC here. They brought jiu-jitsu to the United States, and uh, they created the UFC to show 
jiu-jitsu versus other martial arts and how dominant it was. And this guy was 175 pounds fighting in the UFC that had no weight classes, and he was beating monsters, like giant guys. And at the time, I was bouncing at a, at a club, working security at a bar, and saw this guy fighting, you know, getting paid, beating big guys. And so instantly the next day I started training. And within probably the first six months, uh, I was training at his gym. Wow. That's a pretty intense path to take. Yeah. <laughs> it got more intense as it went on. I, I ended up a couple years later selling my car and moving to Brazil for a year and living on the mat in, in Brazil at a gym for a year straight and, and just trained full time. So you were all in quick. Yep. Wow. And so you go and train full-time in Brazil. And so at this point, like, are you working the traditional, like, belt achievements? Or, like, did you start at at nothing? Or had you already had some kind of sense of, like... I was a bit of a troublemaker. I'd been... I've gotten a lot of fights growing up. And then uh, jiu-jitsu, like, changed my life completely. It's a, it's a humbling sport. It's something that will take the cocky, arrogant guy and humble him and then take the very quiet, you know, meek guy and, and raise their confidence Build level, kind of level everybody out. And so I did go through the belt, the belt system and, and everything, um, but I started with experience-wise, no, no, no experience. And you were a black belt in seven years. Yep. Not just a black belt, a special kind of black belt. Um, Is that right? I mean, to be honest, a, a jiu-jitsu, a, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt is is a special kind of black belt. It's a, it's, a, it's something that doesn't typically happen fast, um, and it takes a lot of work and a lot of competition, a lot of proving your your um, you know your style, your sport. And so, ten uh, years my, is the average amount of time it takes. I hear right. And you did seven. I did seven. I think both of my sons did seven as well. Yes, the day before yesterday, I gave out my fastest black belt ever, which was four and a half years. Who's actually a Frisco, a Frisco PD guy? No uh, way. Yeah, who's been with me for four and a half years. Four and, and a half. He's just an animal. Yeah, he's an animal. Wow. Um, you can give him a shout out if you want to. Na- if you want to call him out. He has names Colton Roloffs, um, phenomenal athlete and and uh, great 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 police department or police officer here. When you said special black belt, I'm I'm assuming you you were talking about Nogi. And yeah. that is, so I took my gi off, which is the traditional martial arts kimono, and did not train in it anymore and kind of broke the the seal of people that was, it was kind of frowned upon because that was the traditional way. Mm-hmm. And then I moved on as the first American to do that and, and continued to grow that sport in the United States. Oh, wow. You yeah. trailblazed that path because it's a little more common now, right? The no gi style. Oh, yeah. It's uh, all the stuff that I was trying to say before, everyone's saying now. Yeah. So it's, it's like, oh, yeah. I, a told, surprise. Told you so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so the no gi versus the gi, like it, it literally means not, not wearing that traditional dress. And there's different things that come into play there, like grips and different holds and different moves. So when you say you were the first one, did you kind of invent some of the different tactics when you're not wearing the gi? For sure, especially as far as my style goes. Like my goal was to fight in the UFC, and and you can't wear that in the UFC. Um, you could in the first couple, and then you weren't allowed to. And and so basically, training in it was creating all of these habits of grabbing things mm-hmm. that are typically not going to be there when you take it off. Right. So I, I right away took it off and started training without it, and creating new grips, new handles, new ways to stay tight to somebody and and get submissions on them when it's, you know, sweaty late in the fifth round when someone's sliding out of something. Usually the gi will hold you and, right. and stop that. And so I had to you it, know, like change a, a lot of things. It's like a barrier sometimes too. For sure. Wow. So I didn't realize that you were the first in that aspect. Okay. So that might that might lead into to this. Can we talk about some of these nicknames? 
<laughs> yes, um, for sure. Well, I know that one of your accolades is three-time King of the Cage world champion, so you have to explain a little bit of what King of the Cage actually means and the West Side Strangler. So King of the Cage is an organization. It's basically like the UFC. Um, it was a, a feeder into the UFC at the time, and um, they were big in, in California, and that's where I was from, so I was fighting there all the time, and I was a three-time world champion there. And then the name the West Side Strangler came. It was actually one of my friends. We were in, uh, I think we were in Mississippi, and some fights were were happening. And then there was a confrontation outside of the cage. And we were going over to the hotel, and one of the guys, there was like a, a large group of guys, and one of the guys' nicknames was the East Side Assassin. And my my best friend at the time, he goes, oh, my God. He goes, I can't wait to see this. And he goes, it's going to be the East Side Assassin versus the West Side Strangler. Because I used, I used to choke everybody. Is that was Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, it's got to be a hold, yeah, right? I had a, like, I, I had a really good hold. guillotine choke, um, which is like a front headlock choke. And so, you know, he, he nicknamed me the West Side Strangler, and that stuck forever. On the spot like that. That's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, it was funny. So, yeah. So, I mean, that seems to kind of be out there following you around. Do you like that nickname? Oh, yeah, that's been since probably 2000, maybe, right around 2000, maybe a little before 2099. And the other one I, I think that I get is the King of the Kimura, which is... Oh, a, I don't know that one. It's a submission that I do the most, and it's uh, it's called a Kimura. I, I've done it to a lot of people. I have videos on it, on, on breaking it down, the technique and whatnot. Okay. <clears throat> so, yeah, you mentioned, like, that nickname maybe came in in the in 1990s. So you were competitive from, like, 94... To 2009, but then kept like that's not where you stopped. You actually kept competing in pretty big matches and things all the way up into 2015. Yeah, right. So in 2000, I get what was the last one you said? 2009, I moved. I'd moved to Texas in 2006 and fought a few more times, and then I was doing training some motocross kids, doing strength conditioning, and I didn't open a gym here. Uh, I was injured. I had a rib injury, and so I was out for a couple years. And then um, my kids started training when I opened my gym here. So I wanted to fight two more times. I think I fought in 2012 uh, twice so that my kids could see me fight live because okay. they had just started training. They'd never seen me fight live, only on TV. And at the time, it would like we would rewind it and show them afterwards if yeah. it, to make sure everything went right, okay, right? right? And uh, Sheltered them from a little, you know. For sure. Yeah. For sure. They saw me train and stuff, but they had just never seen a live fight. Well, it's so it's probably different, the intensity of everything. Yeah. yeah. And, and so they were in seventh and eighth grade, and uh, I, I wanted to fight a couple more times so they could see. So in 2012, I fought twice um, so they could see me fight live. And then I retired. People were asking me if I was going to do jujitsu tournaments because I hadn't done them in a long time. And so then in 2013, 14, 15, I won the Nogi World Championships in California. So like round two. You, yeah, you, you like you retired, came back, and then kept winning the totally different, really style and format. Right? Yes, yes, I'm format. Yes, um, there's no striking, but in all of my fights, I have 19 submission wins and 18 first round submission wins. So I was winning with jujitsu the whole my whole career. Okay, um, I had one decision and one knockout. The rest was all submissions. So, so you, let me get that straight. You were winning with jujitsu in a MMA ring. Correct. Okay. Correct. Or UFC. Correct. Or UFC, UFC is a brand of right. a brand name. Okay. Right. MMA is the sport. And, and and yes, I was winning with submissions, which is jujitsu, inside the cage. Uh, my goal was to knock it hit to get you to the ground and, and submit you. Yeah. And, and that, you know, was, that's a good was plan. Yeah. Not sure. get hit. My my kid is a wizard <laughs> at it right now. He's four and as a professional. Well, I want to ask you about that. So so this is in the family. Yes. So what do you what do your kids have going on then? Oh, 
you know, I, I wasn't even sure that they would start to train. And then when I opened my gym here, my youngest boy is really athletic. And my oldest boy, who's now the professional, is, was not athletic at all. And so I wanted them to start before junior high just for self-defense reasons, mm-hmm. you know. And, and so they started training, and the athletic one instantly wanted to compete, and he did, and he won his first one. And then the, my son, Lucas, who uh, was not athletic, didn't want to compete. And then on the way home from the one that his brother won, he, he said, when's the next one? So I told him, and he said, I'll do it. And then he started competing. And it really, like, he was a, a soft little, you know, books, <laughs> animal, zoo, uh, computers. Not you a know, fighter. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah. Not, not, not physically, you know, gifted. He was a little squishy but skinny. And now, you know, he's a two-time jiu-jitsu world champion. He was 3-0 as an amateur. He's 4-0 right now as a pro in, wow. in Bellator. And he's just found his groove, and it's changed him like dramatically. In uh, he's more outspoken. Yeah, you know, just a, a different kid. He Super came into his own. He found something. What sure. age did that happen? You're saying junior high, but what age did you see the change happen? Um, they they picked it up faster than anybody. They were they yeah, were naturally both, from yeah. you. Yeah, and by the by their second year, we were competing against kids around Texas that had been doing it their whole lives and and beating them. Um, then we started traveling all over the place. Like we went to London, and Lucas won the British Nationals there. Wow! We went all over the United States competing. Tyler, my youngest one, was was a, a gifted phenom. He's, I think he's three hundred and something and eight as a as a jiu-jitsu competitor. Wow! And redeemed you know all of them, but I think one or two that we never saw the guys again. But he's wrestling now, Division One in college. Oh, okay. He's a two-time Texas State wrestling champion and uh, one-time runner-up and. Uh, when he's done in school, he may or may not fight. I'm not sure, but he'll definitely compete at a at a very high level mm-hmm. in jiu-jitsu, nogi jiu-jitsu, which is paying well now. So, yeah, they I had no idea that they were both going <laughs> to take yeah. off with it, but I they mean, did. Well, and, and you mentioned your gym. So you opened the gym in the middle of all that competition. This wasn't something like you retired and go open a gym, right? I mean, did you open the gym and get that second career and everything started while you were still in the middle of competing? Super early on. My, my first UFC fight, I opened the following month. I took the winnings from the UFC fight, came home and opened my first gym. Okay. Um, inexperienced, I opened a Nogi gym. And okay. at that time, no one even knew know what it was. So I know your Frisco gym is Next Generation MMA. Is that the name of it from day one, or has it had evolution? It was Next Generation Jiu-Jitsu okay. because MMA wasn't the word yet. It yeah. was called NHB, No Holds Barred. Okay. And I wanted to stay away from that because it was you know it sounded violent and sounded gotcha. you know and I, and I was trying to get regular students. So I opened, and within six months closed. End up in my garage. Grew to sixty students in my garage, and then moved into a bigger building. And from that point on, and that was in that was in March of ninety eight, and I've been business ever since. Wow! And is it just the one location here in Frisco, or you have others? Multiple. I've got yeah. one in California, two in Texas, one in Denver, and then two in Ireland, two in England, two in Norway, and one in Australia. Wow! Expanded. That's a lot of reach. Yeah, you're reaching yeah. a lot of students. I had a lot of guys coming to me to train from from overseas, and they would stay with me for a few months at a time and train. And they started bringing me back there for seminars, and then we just went into yeah, like why not? Let's make right. plant plant something there, especially if you've made the contacts that were coming here to train with you. Let yeah. them let them take care of your brand over there. If they can do the things, they know how you do the things. Well, I love that you're a proud papa. That's awesome. Um, and listening to you talk about about them is great. So you kept saying, I, I guess it was Lucas that you kept describing as he's not an athlete. Right. And he's now the, the, the reigning champ in all these t- titles, right? So yeah. do you think you can 
put the athlete in somebody? I, if you asked me before him, I would have said no. I think you're born with athletic ability, and you are. But you, you typically have the really good athletes that don't work as hard because they're so gifted. And then you have the kids who aren't gifted who work their butt off to become athletic. That's him, but he's done it to a level you would never know that he was not athletic to begin with. Um, he's the hardworking athletic or hardworking kid that wasn't athletic, and he's very athletic now. Tyler is the hardworking athletic kid. So he's that the exception, you know, pieces, yeah, and, yeah. And that's, those are the tough, tough ones to beat. But isn't it amazing though, how, like you said, you could have all the talent already. If you don't have the will or the drive or want to go do it, it's not going to be, it's not going to happen. Right. Like for sure, you see that how important that piece of it is, especially in sports like this too, I'm sure. Yep. But how, if you don't have the the drive to put yourself out there or in your gym every probably early mornings, late yeah. nights, whatever y'all do, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's that's where it separates in, in from Division One to professional sports, professional sports to Olympic athletes. You know, there's that difference is at that point everyone's a, a gifted athlete who, sure. who's working hard. You yeah. know, and and that's that little bit extra. And uh, so Lucas has had a harder time. You know, he lost some matches in, in jiu-jitsu and in wrestling because he started early right into the competition and, and uh, wasn't athletic yet. And was and facing kids who, like you said, had already had For sure. He, a, a he faced a lot of this. adversity and yeah. overcame it and just became, like I said, he's undefeated. And, so and what age group is Lucas? Like, or I doubt it's age group anymore. So he he's fought a, his first fight the week before his senior year started against a 30-year-old guy okay. and beat him in the, in the third round. He fought a week before his senior year ended against another 33-year-old guy and beat him, and then he fought one more time before turning pro. Uh, everyone he's fought has been in their 30s, and he was 17. Uh, Texas wow. is the only state that allows it at 17 wow. with notary from the parents, and uh, now he's 20. So it's not done by age, obviously. It's done by weight class and, like, pro status, the status that you have? Yeah, in mixed martial arts, yes. In MMA, yes. In jiu-jitsu, age, weight, skill level, all of it's broken down. Okay. Same, same uh, in wrestling outside of high school. Um, but a as a fighter, there's no, there's no age, no, there's just weight class and, uh, not even a skill level. You're just basically fighting guys with a record around the same experience as mm -hmm. you, as you go up. Everyone he's fought's had more fights than him, mm -hmm. but, uh, he's he, capable. I bet that gets in his head early on when you're 17 fighting 30 something year old. Yeah. But then once you beat a few of them, it's probably getting in the other way around. It's getting in their head when they go, oh, wait. Oh, yeah, yeah, this sounds easy, but then this kid is beating guys like me. Yeah, oh, for sure at the beginning, you're thinking, oh, I'm going to fight a 17-year-old kid. He's not going to be strong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat him. His first opponent walked in holding a baby, carrying his, or holding his wife's hand, carrying a baby with a beard, right, in Luke 17. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and that's kind of how it's been the, the whole time. But as kids, him and Tyler were competing in the men's division in jiu-jitsu when they were 14, 15 years old and beating him. So, I mean, would that have happened if you weren't there? I mean, I can't imagine another scenario where kids that aren't going to grow up in the gym like that with you, with right. someone, not even just somebody interested in the sport, but somebody who's like high level, excelled in the sport to really guide them along. It would have definitely been difficult. Yeah. There, there are a couple kids, but their, their families are also involved. They definitely have the upper hand. And as a fighter. Literally. <laughs> as a fighter. Yeah. <laughs> and as a fighter, Lucas, I feel definitely has the upper hand because he's got me coaching him 
we live together, I manage him, and I care about his career, yeah. not, you know, not not as a manager would or, or an agent would, but as a dad would. On a personal so, path Yeah, so level. I make sure that he's he has a, a very smooth path and no one's going to knock him off of that. Right. Yeah, I bet you guys are, are you're probably with them every step of the way then. Yep, every and day. <laughs> are y'all traveling, um, you travel a lot. Obviously, this stuff doesn't all happen in Frisco, Texas. So are you guys mostly gone? Um, so because he had just started with Bellator, they were fighting at Windstar. Um, mm. So his first two fights were at Windstar, and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And so now they've turned in the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut into basically a bubble mm-hmm. for us. So all of the fights are there now. We we get in a week early, get tested, get quarantined get for a day, yeah. uh, get tested again, and then we're training there. But we're everyone has their own gym. We all have our own gym with a, a bike, a sauna, and a treadmill. And mats. Wow. And we have our own rooms, and we can't really go anywhere for the whole the whole time we're there. Did M- did MMA jump on that? Figure that out early. I feel like oh, yeah. I, I was we're, seeing we're, them move forward in sports faster than other big mainstream things that were waiting and sitting around for months trying to figure out how to get athletes safe and blah blah blah. Yeah, there was two months that fights didn't happen. That's it. And then they were the first. Ironically, motocross is my my second favorite sport and they were the second. Okay. And and just started having events without without so, fans. Theory here. I don't know. Not not calling anybody anybody specifically divas, but do you think some of it is these big leagues have a lot of like player representatives and players that are just not willing to go out there and compete unless the the scenario is perfectly right for them. I, I think so. I yeah. think so. They're getting paid regardless, right? So <laughs> it's, yeah. if you can get paid millions, and we're not getting paid millions, so we want to fight. Like we're trying to fight because you get paid per fight, show up money, and then win money. You know, it's not just you don't you don't get a flat fee. So uh, we're we're trying to fight as often as possible because this is how most of the guys that fight make their living. Right, and, and they're not on salaries. You know, so it's it's very different than the the regular big sports, the big three or four sports. Right. Um, so yes, I think there's definitely prima donnas in a, in a lot of the sports that are exactly. you know guys that are sitting back. And, Obviously, not everybody, but no. it is different. It's like you said, the individual piece of it. That's where that comes into play too. All you need is Lucas to say, "Let's go." Right. You don't need 58 guys on a roster or something. No, we need one to, other guy. To all like agree <laughs> and sign for it. Like you just he's if it's him and he's into it. Right. You can make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that part. Well, I learned a lot and I want to talk to you more because there's so many things I know we didn't even get to. Um, All your, I didn't get to brag on all your different titles and being in the Hall of Fame and all that good stuff. But, um, but thanks. Thanks for coming in. And um, I'm glad I got to meet you. We learned that we don't live too far away from each other here in Frisco. And so, um, I hope people also go check out your gym, Next Generation MMA. It's in Frisco, right? Yeah, it's right in the Stonebriar Mall parking lot. Oh, okay. Uh, on Gaylord and Preston, kind of on the corner. Yeah. Next okay. door to Platzia and the Vitamin Shop. Yeah, yeah. All right. Very good. Well, thank you for your time. And thank you guys for listening to this episode of Hustle and Pro. Remember to subscribe, and we'll see you next time.